What is written in the law? How do you read it? In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. There is a kind of profound irony in these words of our Lord that his words, originally spoken, have now themselves become scripture. And we must ask ourselves today how it is that we read them. If one looks at the nomakos, the lawyer, who is in fact an expert in the scriptures, and sees there's someone mildly hostile to God, but confused, asking questions in good faith, then that's going to color the entire way in which you read this text. Good teacher, he says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And no doubt you already detect there an error in his thinking, a kind of confusion on his part. You can't do anything to inherit. You must simply be born into the right family and then you inherit freely. But of course, it's puzzling, isn't it? that Jesus doesn't correct that, that Jesus doesn't set things right, but instead says, well, what do you find when you read the Bible? The man says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind. And Jesus says, that's exactly right. Oh, and I forgot. I love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus doesn't correct the man's confusion then, but rather confirms him in it. Yeah, do all this and you'll live. Then as the narrative goes, we're led to believe that this man is suddenly in a panic, in a crisis of conscience before God that, well, that sounds too heavy. I could never fulfill that. He's the one that gave that answer. How on earth does that make sense? Never mind. Keep moving. But that he's all panicked before God and wanting to justify himself before God, then he says, well, who's my neighbor? Maybe if I can narrow this down, I can get in. How exactly that's a test of Jesus, no one knows. But we're led to believe that's the way that we ought to read this text. Jesus tells the parable of the Good Samaritan what it means in this context, no one knows for certain. But the whole thing seems to be botched once more by Jesus when at the end he doesn't say, I am the good Samaritan, I save you. When Jesus rather and instead says, as the good Samaritan showed mercy, you go and do likewise. Which leads to a more astute reading of this text that the man is saying, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, well, the entirety of the law. You have to love God and neighbor perfectly. And he says, well, who's my neighbor? And Jesus, in effect, says, everyone's your neighbor. And not only do you have to love them selflessly, but you have to love them the way the good shepherd or the way the good Samaritan loved the man who had fallen amidst the robbers. In other words, Jesus slams the man not once with the law, but twice with the law. And that's the end of his sermon. And guess what you don't get to do? Read Jesus as the Good Samaritan. 
At least he never says that he is, so that's left up to the preacher to somehow carefully weave that in. Can any of these be right? These are the readings that are most common in the church today, or at least the Lutheran church today. How about we pay closer attention to this expert in the scriptures who, though he stands up, which is a matter of respect when the rabbi Christ is sitting and teaching, who addresses him as teacher, he is in fact doing these things deceptively. What he is there is to do is not just to put Jesus to the test, but the word is ekpirazon. It's the word from which we get, lead us not into temptation. He is there to tempt Jesus, to cause Jesus to fall. In fact, in Luke's gospel, the only earlier instance of this word is used when Satan tempts Jesus in the wilderness. This man is here to cast Jesus down, and I submit to you that he knows exactly what he's doing. It's not confusion when he says, what must I do to inherit the kingdom of heaven? It's a trap. He knows where he wants our Lord to go, and he knows that the way in which he has framed the question has one deadly aspect to it. He knows that Jesus has been preaching mercy. He knows that Jesus has been preaching to sinners forgiveness of sins. He knows that Jesus has been saying to bad Jews, to Samaritans, and to Gentiles, believe in me and you can be a son of the Father. You will inherit the kingdom of heaven. What must I do to inherit the kingdom of heaven? If Jesus says, well, absolutely nothing, it's by grace, then the trap is sprung. Why does Moses say, love God and love neighbor? Why does Moses say, this do and you will live? Jesus, knowing what the man is up to, and as he so frequently does, masterfully avoiding the trap, says to him, in effect, all right, I'll bite. What do the scriptures say? Where are you going to go with this? And while the man does indeed quote scripture, he does so in an order that's not found in the scripture, but is rather only found on the lips of Jesus. In other words, he's quoting Jesus back to Jesus when he says, love the Lord your God, etc., etc., and your neighbor as yourself. Far from quaking in his boots when Jesus says, you got it right, do this and you will live, the man's ready to spring part two of the trap. Who then is my neighbor? He's not equivocating, he's not looking for a way out, not in the least. He's ready to nail Jesus. Because if Jesus says everyone, he'll say, only those who love God and love neighbor will inherit life. Only those who love God and love neighbor are sons. But you, you eat and drink with those who don't. You eat and drink with open rebels and sinners. If you are friends with the enemies of God, what does that make you? 
you'll notice that Jesus very wisely and astutely doesn't answer the question, but tells the parable of the Good Samaritan, which will result in the end with the nomikos, the expert in the scriptures, speaking the absolute truth about what it is that Jesus himself is doing. When Jesus tells the parable of the Good Samaritan, it is 100% a parable of himself and what he is doing for the sake of sinners. As he tells it, a man goes down from the mountain of Jerusalem to Jericho. He falls upon robbers. They strip him so he's naked. They beat him within an inch of his life, and they leave him for dead. Along comes a priest, a clergyman. He sees him and trucks off on the other side of the road. Next comes a layman. He sees him trucks off on the other side of the road. Then comes a villain, a Samaritan, which of course, you may well know that that was one of their slurs against Jesus himself. Do we not rightly say that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? Roughly translated, do we not rightly say that you are a heretic and have a demon? So it is a Samaritan this outsider, this slur that they have used against him that he uses as the hero, as the one who shows mercy. The good Samaritan sees the man and is instantly filled with compassion, splagnitzo. And he rushes toward that man and he stoops down and he begins to care for him. He bandages up his wounds and then pours on oil and wine. When wounds were extremely severe, you would bandage them first to stop the bleeding, and then oil and wine would be mixed into a kind of medicine, and those would be poured into the bandages to disinfect and seal from further infection. Where he got these bandages from? Simply his own cost, maybe his own clothing with shreds torn off. He then puts the man on his own beast, sees the man all the way back into town to the inn at risk of his own life, both that he himself could be jumped by the robbers or he himself as a Samaritan could be jumped upon coming into the town with what we presume to be a near-dead Jew on the back of his donkey. There he cares for the man himself in the inn and then gives the innkeeper two denarii enough that would provide for the man two weeks of care. Says, take care of him while I'm away, and when I return, I'll pay you anything that exceeds the two denarii, effectively giving a blank check. Then Jesus says, which of these men, the clergyman and priest, the layman, the Levite, or the Samaritan, which of these men showed mercy to the one who had fallen amongst the robbers? The expert in the scriptures can't even bear to say the word Samaritan. So he says, the one who showed him mercy. That is condemnation from his own lips. 
what is the ministry of Jesus? Is it contrary to the law of God? Is it contrary to the scriptures? No, rather, the fulfillment of the scriptures, the essence of the law, what it means to love God and love neighbor is to show mercy. That is what Jesus is doing. In the good shepherd, we see an image of him. And then he says to that expert in the scriptures who was there to try to overthrow him, why don't you come and join me? Why don't you go and do likewise? You see, we see ourselves in this text as those sinners, naked in our shame, half dead, lying on the side of the road, ready to be dead in our trespasses and sins in absolute and eternal finality. Christ comes to us and ministers to us. It is he who applies the bandages to our wounds, which as the psalmists say, fester and stink on account of our foolishness. He despises us in our lowliness, not. He puts on the salve, the oil of his Holy Spirit, and the wine that flows from his chalice and is in the chalice because it flows from his cross. This is he who puts us on his own beast and at his own cost, the cost not of gold or silver, but with his own precious blood, he purchases us and wins us. And in the second place, we then hear his words. You go and do likewise. He is the Good Samaritan. But even as he conforms us into his own beloved image, he calls us to be good Samaritans. He doesn't call us to act contrary to the law, contrary to the scriptures, but rather to see that the fulfillment of the scriptures and the essence of the law, what it means to love God and love neighbor, is to have mercy. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit.